0: This morning we're going to look at uh, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. So if you'd like to turn in your few Bibles or the scriptures you brought with you uh, to that passage, that would be good and helpful. As you can tell from the title, uh, we're going to talk about government uh, this morning. Uh, it's our practice as a church to um, do expository preaching, which is an, an easy way to say that we like to take books of the Bible and just kind of move through them in kind of an orderly Kind of way, passage by passage, uh, look at scriptures, which is great. uh, But I kind of have a love-hate relationship with that sometimes, because it's good when you hit passages that you really like and you just really click with. But sometimes you get passages that you feel uncomfortable with, or you just don't really like, or not very exciting, if I can say that. Um, And this is maybe one of those passages uh, this morning, talking about uh, the role of 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 government in the life of the believer. When I think about uh, government and Christians I think about evangelicalism and politics And for some reason my mind will go to Bill Clinton Okay, And I think about Bill Clinton and I think about the first time I saw him And by first I mean the only time I saw him Okay, It was in the early 90s so I was in school in Columbia And uh, it was during the Democratic uh, primaries uh, The Republicans had their guy George H.W. Bush You may remember him and uh, Democrats were going at it, trying to figure out who's going to be their uh, guy, who they were going to nominate. And uh, Bill Clinton was coming through uh, South Carolina and had a stop in Columbia. And so a friend of mine said, hey, let's go, let's go see him. I, I, it had to be junior, st- sophomore, junior year. I, I don't really remember. Um, but we went to go see him. And not because of we favored one party over another, uh, but just I went just because I was just curious never been to a political rally, never seen a, a politician uh, um, who was uh, running for that uh, big of an office. Uh, and so I just went out of curiosity just to, to check it out and see what it was all about. This, this morning I'm asking you to be curious. You may not be excited about hearing of a sermon about government and, and God and how the church or how Christians relate to government and so on and so forth, but I'm asking you to just to be curious uh, as we go through this uh, passage and we talk about some of the principles and what Paul is, is commanding uh, for us and, and why he's doing that, that you would be curious about what it is, how we should be relating uh, to the government. So with that being said, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. It's coming from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through, excuse me, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let's hear God's Word. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, however, whoever rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has in, in, instituted. Thank you I read it. I study a different version, so sometimes I hit these words. I did go to college, okay? I did graduate. And those who do well and do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the the one in in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, ask that you would come and speak to us, that you would give us insight, that you would give us a direction, that you would help us to be your people, representing all that you are in the culture that we live in, and honoring you as we do so. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please be seated? As a parent of two, I consider it uh, my responsibility, our responsibility, to uh, teach certain things to our children, okay? Certainly you want to teach them the gospel, the Bible, uh, the stories in the Bible. I want to teach them theology. We want to make sure they can read. It's always a positive. Uh, We want to make sure they can write, uh, that they're stewards of their money, uh, that they understand hard work, and the list could go on and on. But one of my personal priorities, not so much a, a huge priority, but it's to, to teach them or to show them good movies, okay? And by good movies, I mean movies that I like, that I think, and know that they need to like as well, okay? One day, just a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in a living room, and I was, Rocky was on. It was the end of Rocky Three, I believe, Mr. T. And one of the kids comes through, and I say, What, what are you watching? like, why would they want to hit each other like that? That just doesn't, I would never do that, and on and on. I said, that's Rocky. Like, you need to like this movie and understand it. And I realized how much work I had and how much I need your prayer support in this process uh, because they've got to like these quality movies out there. Probably one of my favorite Rocky movies, if I'd identify one, would be Rocky Four, okay? This is where uh, Rocky takes on Russia, and by Russia I mean Ivan Drago. Uh, Drago is this huge towering figure, uh, powerful, strong. He's like conformance enhanced with all kinds of steroids. Uh, he is cold-hearted, just this mechanical machine in the ring. And he has defeated and, and killed one of Rocky's good friends, Apollo Creed. And so Rocky has taken it upon himself, I've got to seek revenge. He wants to go after uh, Drago and fight him. And he's willing even to go to Russia to fight him. Nobody really believes that Rocky can beat Drago, but we know that he can, because there wouldn't be a Rocky IV if he lost, okay? And so Rocky goes to Siberia, of course, uh, to train. And you watch that sequence, and if you don't want to get up and do something after that, I mean, there's just something wrong with you. It's just this great sequence. And, of course, Rocky goes into the ring and and goes head-to-head with Drago. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you, okay? Um, But it doesn't take much to notice that that movie is more than... Rocky versus Drago. It's more than a boxing movie. It's, it's about uh, two competing governments, if you will, at the same time. You've got these two competing cultures, two competing ways of life, two competing uh, nations, the U.S. versus Russia, each one at the time, it was the time of the Cold War when it came out, it, fighting with each other, competing to be superior. In this passage this morning, Uh, We're not going to so much talk about politics that lay behind uh, the the governing authorities and and government and and the Christian's relationship to government. But we're going to talk about what does it mean for us as believers? How do we relate to the state? How do we relate to these governing authorities? Not one party or the other party or what party to be affiliated with. Not politics, but government in general. How do we relate and how does Paul help us in that process? And so I want to talk about, first I want to talk about the command and get into some of the the details of that. I want to talk about maybe the the exception to that command, uh, when it's not absolutely true that we follow through on this, and then kind of uh, um, talk about some application. How does this, what are some of the implications uh, for us as as believers uh, today? So there are the command. There are generally maybe four models, if you will, of how... Uh, church and and government have uh, related in the past. There's a view that says that the state controls the church. There's a view that the church controls the state. We call that a theocracy. There's a view that there should be a compromise in which the state favors the church and the church accommodates uh, the state in order to retain some kind of favor. And then the last one, the one I think that, that moves the most with or is most in parallel with what Paul is talking about here, is, is a partnership model where the church and the state recognize and encourage each one's distinct roles, if you will, or jobs or, or functions, and they work together uh, as, as best uh, they can. And that's what, it, like I said, is the, is the view, I think, that embodies Romans 13, these, these first uh, seven verses, at the best. Uh, verse 1 tells us straightforward. Christians are to submit to the civil or governing authorities. That is our uh, position as believers. Uh, in a moment, we're going to talk about reasons why that's not absolutely true and when there could be moments when we, we don't follow through on that. But the, ne- but the command, simply put, as Paul's stating here, is that we submit to these governing authorities. Paul's not the only one to talk about this. Uh, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2. He writes, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, Jesus spoke about the Christian in their relationship to the government like this. He says, uh, famously in Matthew 22, "Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's." That is, that the, the church and the state have different functions; they have different duties. There's a separate a separation, if you will. There, there's a different influence. Uh, the, the church is about proclaiming the gospel of Christ. It's about salvation. It's about God's words. It's about who God is. It's about the Great Commission. It's about all those things. That's our, that's our, our mission, if you will. But the state is different. They are uh, more embodied for the sake of maintaining the common good, the, the common welfare of all of its citizens. There's two reasons why Paul is, is talking like this, why we should submit Uh, To these authorities The first one is this We submit because it's right Paul says in verse 1 Authorities that exist Have been established by God What does that mean? It means what you think it means That that God has placed these individuals In those offices That in his province In his sovereignty He has placed them And instituted there In those systems to be there Uh, Daniel The book of Daniel chapter 4 Puts it like this It says, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Think about it as as God is the one that casts that deciding ballot. Uh, His vote is the one that that counts the most, so to speak. He's the one that's installed or or placed these men and women in their elected offices to do what he has them to do. Uh, No king or president and say they are there or could be there without the God of the universe placing them there. It's, it's a picture of God's sovereignty, of God's providence. Now, are there bad rulers? Yes, okay? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. There are bad rulers. And it, they think, well, what do we do with the bad rulers around us? Well, we remember just because God has placed them in those positions doesn't mean that they have free reign that they are and will be held accountable. There will be a day when the president, past presidents, will stand before their maker, stand before God, and be held accountable for their actions and for their decisions. And I'm sure they would welcome our prayers in the midst of uh, all that they do in their office. The second thing is we submit because we need social order. We need social order. Verses 3 and 4. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. So the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Meaning that, that, that government is, is used by God to, as, a threat to, as a threatening punishment on wrongdoers, those that are, are breaking the law. It, it's, we need government in place so there's not anarchy, so there's not rebellion, so there's just not this chaos, because if we didn't have that we wouldn't be able to function. We wouldn't be able to raise our kids. We wouldn't be able to go to school. We wouldn't be able to, to earn a fair wage, all these other things that, that could go on down the list because of what government does for us. I know the government is, has its issues, okay? That's not the issue. But the, the, the principle is, is clear. Uh, no government is a disaster, okay? But the right government uh, in place is there to ensure that the common good in, in a moment, we're going to talk about the idea of, of civil disobedience and when that might be um, a, a card that we play, so to speak, as, as Christians. But Paul is, is making clear that part of godliness, part of what it is to, to walk with God and to know him and to be identified as, as a Christian is what we might call civil obedience, is, is following and submitting to these, these governing authorities that God has placed if you think of the, the example in, in Luke chapter 2 of this, you have Mary and Joseph. Joseph. I mean, Mary with child in a significant way. And because of the, the governing authorities, they're saying you need to go to uh, your place of birth and be registered because there's a new taxing going on. And so you have Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2 making this long travel, this long journey um, with a pregnant wife when that that babies could be at risk and that wife woman could be at risk and they could encounter all kinds of hardships along the way regardless how difficult it is they obey they they do what's been called upon them and it's a a small indirect picture for us to remember to honor those in authority and to submit to them that's the principle that's the the command if you uh, will let's talk a little bit about the, the limits of that command and by limits, I, I mean this. Uh, you've got authorities that, that come from God, that they're placed by God in these in these positions. There's still the questions, there's still the question that, that runs through our heads, what happens when authorities abuse that power? What happens when authorities abuse that power? In other words, what happens when authorities ask us to do something that goes outside the bounds of the scriptures, goes outside the bounds of, of God's commandments that would force us to sin. What happens in those moments? The simple answer is, is we disobey the government or the state when they ask us to do something that would be a sin. And they ask us to do something that would be breaking one of God's commandments that would be uh, that cause us to act in a way that's inconsistent with our Christian beliefs. Now, there's a, there's a difference between... Saying I want to, I don't. There's a difference between I'm I'm not going to follow through with this because it's it would be a sin for me to do that. Versus I'm not going to follow through this because I just disagree with you, or I don't like your politics, or it's very inconvenient for me, or it causes a big hardship for you. That's that's not civil uh, disobedience. Civil disobedience is when this is clearly a sin for me to do this and to follow through with this, and so I'm not going to do it. Now, remember who's saying this. It's Paul, right? You remember the government at the time that Paul had to deal with? This is not like you've got, like, Paul's not writing in time when there's some Christian leadership out there. There is no Christian leadership out there, okay? There's no Christians in these places of power. Uh, in, in fact, it's the opposite. You've got the, the state not, not only being, being more than indifferent to Paul, but actively moving against him, persecuting the church, persecuting Paul bringing a lot of stress and tension and discord into the lives of so many Christians and yet Paul is saying submit to these authorities but there may be times the bible tells us when we need to push back against that there's some clues to it in the in the text uh, for example in verse 7 he says give to everyone what you owe them if you owe taxes pay taxes if revenue then revenue if respect then respect if honor then honor it doesn't take much to see that this is an echo of what Jesus said and what we read a moment ago from Matthew chapter 22. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what is God's. And Paul says that, surely he's thinking uh, about Jesus and what his instructions to us. And the implication is the government has limited authority. The government may be entitled to your taxes, may be entitled to your money, and we give them the, the money that's due to them. But the government does not get our hearts. It does not get our worship. It doesn't get our ultimate allegiance. Our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate authority is not the state, but it's God himself. We as his, as his people and he as our creator and our savior. He is our ultimate authority, our ultimate judge. The other clue in this text regarding uh, our allegiance to our higher authority is in verses 3 and 4. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. And then verse 4. He is God's servant to do you, to do you good. He's helping you see that government is God's servant. Okay, not the other way around. It's it's, it's not its own servant. Okay, it's implied. There's elected officials are to operate under God's moral law, that they too are going to be and are accountable to God themselves, and so that we submit to the government, as long as it doesn't lead us to do something that would be out of bounds uh, in our Christian belief. You look over the Bible, you do a a survey of the Bible, you're going to find individuals who are introduced into great times of stress and difficulty because they had to exercise civil disobedience. Maybe one of the classic examples is the midwives in the beginning of Exodus. Pharaoh stands up and says, all right, the Hebrews are too many. Uh, you midwives that are helping these Hebrew women have children, if the boy comes out, then we need to, you need to get rid of, of him. And of course, the, the midwives respond by saying, however, he, Exodus tells us, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, yet they let, they let the boys live. They feared God. They had a, a higher authority than Pharaoh there's an example in the, in the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar issued this edict that all the subjects would bow down and worship this, this golden image. Okay? It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember uh, those three individuals. They would not do it. And because of that, they were going to go into the fiery furnace. But listen to how they respond uh, to this. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What are they saying? We're not going to do this uh, because of God in our lives. Uh, If you put us in the fiery furnace, that's fine. God's going to rescue us and save us. If he doesn't save us and if it ends bad for us, That's fine, too, because we're still going to honor him. We're still going to follow and trust him. Another example in the book of Daniel. Daniel himself, the king Darius, makes this decree that for 30 days no one should pray to any god or man except himself. And, of course, Daniel says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's thrown into the lion's den, and he's delivered from that. And then we have this New Testament example, the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They're teaching, they're healing they get arrested, thrown into prison. Angel comes that night, releases them from prison. They go out and do the same thing they've been doing all along. And the religious authorities' leadership comes in and says, say, What are you doing? You're supposed to be in jail. You're not in jail. Why do you keep doing this stuff? We told you not to do this anymore. And they respond classically, We obey God rather than man. The implication being that we serve a higher authority. And that you cannot tell us to do something that Scripture uh, commands us to do the bottom line is that we are always to obey the authorities uh, boss, government whatever it may be but however if that authority commands us to do something that we know that scripture prohibits then we're not obligated to do that We're not able to do that the last thing is this that application of all this and then we'll we'll close with a, a word of prayer um, look, Maybe let me get it approached like this. Uh, There are five wrong views of government. Uh, Wayne Grimm in his book, uh, Politics According to the Bible, gives these these five wrong views. I want to walk through that because I think they're helpful for us to think about, uh, to give us uh, healthy categories to think about the Christian uh, in our relationship to the state. Uh, The first one is government should compel religion. This is about state-sponsored religion. It's when, for example, the state says, uh, this is the religion of England. This is the religion of France. And then new leadership moves in, and there's a lot of beheadings, and there's a lot of people burned at the stake, and then it starts all over again. Okay, it, it never does well. And, and, and for the most part, certainly in, in the Christian world, it's, it's something that we don't aspire to anymore, where the state would control religion. But that's not true in the, necessarily true in the Islamic world. Think Saudi Arabia... I think Iran, those are, are, are Muslim Islamic states, those are Islamic governments. They would say, the Koran says this, and so we institute these laws based upon that. You break those things, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. It's, it's, it's a religion that's controlled by the state, or the state controlled by the religion. And we would say probably the, the best hope for us as, as, as Christians, I think, is the idea of liberty, where you're free to practice the religion of your choice that you don't have to do this or you don't have to not do this. There's liberty for us to practice this. It's the best opportunity to, uh, to uh, persuade others, if you will, to talk about our faith and for God to work on people's hearts and not just to bring people uh, into uh, the church in a mechanical way, but God to really rescue and redeem. The second one is this. Exclude religion from government altogether. Exclude religion from government altogether. This would be a true secular Uh, State if there is such a thing. It's the the idea that you can have what you you can believe what you can believe. You just got to do it in in private, okay? You can think what you think. You can talk what you talk in your own house, uh, and do it in your family. You just can't bring it into the public square. You can't bring those kind of opinions, those kind of uh, ideas into government. Into you can't introduce that into uh, policy around us. The problem with that is. I don't know how you can do that in a, in a realistic way. I mean, we all have um, a worldview that we, um, that seeks to answer the big questions of life. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What's the problem? What's the solution? So on and so forth. We all have those, those worldviews. How can you not, and, and our religion tells us, our Christianity gives us that, those worldviews, those answers to the questions. How can you not let that bleed into? how you live your life and, and bleed into uh, culture around you. I don't, and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Uh, even if you're, you're not a Christian, that's your religious view, and you are letting that religious view seep into how you do policy, how you do life, and how you uh, talk about how things should be. Uh, the, sec- the, the, the third one is uh, all government is demonic. The I being that since we live in a fallen world, the government has fallen too. These are, government, these are bad people. Uh, we should just withdraw. Christians should just withdraw, form their own culture, form their own way of doing things, and totally ignore uh, the, the government around us. I don't think you can read this passage. Paul is saying those, those individuals have been um, instilled, installed by God, in a sense, that, that God has placed them there, uh, and therefore um, there for a reason. Uh, you can't totally escape that. Uh, the fourth one is, uh, do evangelism not politics. Uh, do evangelism, not politics. Forget about politics. Forget about voting. Forget about all those stuff that's on the ballot. Just share your faith. Just be concerned about people receiving the gospel and, and believing in it for salvation. Politics, it's a mess. The government's a mess. It's, it's too messy. It's too dirty. Let's just forget it. Let's just think about people's souls. That 's fine, but the, the Bible is, is still in favor of us and still moves us towards being a light to the nations, uh, seeking uh, the good of people. Uh, some form of transformation we can 't totally ignore uh, politics as, as believers. And the fifth thing is is do politics, not evangelism. This is the last one. This is the, the social gospel it's been called. Jesus is too messy he 's too controversial. Uh, Let's not worry about salvation. There's so many different opinions about all that kind of stuff. And so let's just think about people's everyday needs. Let's just try and make people comfortable today. Let's try and meet their, their practical needs. That's fine. I'm all for for helping people and meeting those kinds of needs. But we can't forsake the gospel, the reality of Christ, and our need for eternal comfort, uh, if you will. Let me say this. I, I know my time's running out. Let me give you three uh, brief, brief, brief things. Um, that I think are some, some takeaways of for us in light of this passage and subject. Uh, the first one is this. Our job is to comply with government, uh, to do it respectfully, and to do it in an honoring way. We may not like them. We may not think they're, uh, they're scandalous, or we may think they're uh, corrupt, or there's something seriously broken about our politics or whatever's going around. It, regardless... We may not respect them, but we can respect the the governing authorities that they represent, the government that they represent, and we can act in an honoring way. Uh, The second one is this, and it is very obvious, it's very clear, that that we need to vote. Uh, We need to be engaged on a local level, state level, national level, understanding uh, issues, and we need to exercise our, our right to vote, our ability to vote. Even if you're not going to vote, that you have a thoughtful reason as to why you're not going to vote, but to be engaged uh, with local and national politics at least on that level. And the third one is this, uh, be careful about what is informing your view of culture and policy and politics and government. Be careful what is influencing the voices that you're hearing regarding that, which is to say let scripture be that ultimate authority. Let scripture be the, the guiding principle that gives you convictions, that gives you understanding, that gives you directions about uh, policies and issues that we're facing, that, that the government's responding to. Be careful about listening to that one particular person on talk radio, or that one particular station on cable news, or that one particular show on cable news, or that one particular website or blog site, or what you're hearing on, on social media media, that's fine to get that kind of input, but realize that our ultimate authority is God. Our ultimate authority is what he says. Our ultimate uh, authority and direction is is God's word, and let that be the thing that gives us weight to form our convictions about a culture and policy and things that the, the state is involved in. Again, big picture. I've said this I feel like dozens of times. Paul, for 11 chapters, has said This is the gospel. This is what God has done. And starting in chapter 12, he said, this is what it means for you. And part of what it means for us is our relationship to the government. And this is one of Paul's implications for how we relate to the state. Let's ask him to give us grace and to follow this through. Father God, we trust you. Uh, It's a, a difficult thing, I think, at times to think that You've put this particular person or that particular person in uh, these positions, uh, but we don't want to limit your providence. We don't want to be a people that limit your sovereignty. You are in control of all things. You place uh, all the folks around us into these positions. We pray that you would give us the grace to trust you, to trust you in the, the state and the system that we live in, to trust that you're willing into working. We may not understand it. We may disagree with it. But we pray that you would give us the, the wisdom to respond in a way that brings you glory and brings you honor. We ask all these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.